0: The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. All right. Let's turn in our Bibles, if you have them, uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're continuing our series here on the life of David. Last week, we kicked that off talking about how David was anointed to be the future king. And then he had to wait a while. And uh, today we're going to pick up what what has been called his first real um, life-changing event. And uh, we're really going to cover the entire chapter, but I'm not going to read all of the chapter. I invite you to do that on your own. Uh, we're going to highlight some parts, but I will begin by reading uh, the first 17, ver- uh, the first 11 verses, rather. So let's. Uh, Let's look at uh, 1 Samuel 17, and then I'll pray for us. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes-Damin. And Saul, I often wonder if, if like, when they're doing their battle plans if they have as much trouble pronouncing the (laughs) words as we do, okay? Uh, Verse two, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up the line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, Whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the, whale, the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would would be with us in this time to Uh, through your Holy Spirit, to illumine us, to bring the word of God uh, powerfully into our hearts. I pray, Lord, that as as our children today hear the word of the Lord, that it would bear fruit in their lives, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. May that also be true for each child of God who is here today and each person who is uh, maybe considering Jesus Christ for the first time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we begin this story, which I think most of us are quite familiar with. In fact, it could be said that really all of our culture, in a sense, knows the David and Goliath story. It's it's part of our vernacular. That we when we when we have a say, a Cinderella team in, the, in March Madness during the NCAA basketball tournament. And there's, a, there's this underdog that takes out a powerful team. We call that a real David and Goliath story. Um, so it's part of our vernacular. It's something that, that we know, but there's a, there's a very important part uh, of this story that we often don't get, and that's just how it pictures for us. Jesus Christ and his work and that's that's what I want to highlight today so I have three points um, and uh, the first one is when God abandons and we just kind of read that here but I want to set up uh, the situation uh, first if you if you have your Bible just look up a little bit or back into into chapter 16 now when when Brian talked last week after the anointing of David The final word there was that the Holy Spirit of God rushed upon David. Now, in chapter 16, verse 14, the very next verse, it says, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, this sets up for us what's going to be part of the narrative from here on out. That the Holy Spirit has abandoned Saul but has come upon David. And so we're going to see the difference that 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 makes. This this is the first battle after this rejection of the Lord. And they line up for battle and Goliath comes forth and and as a representative of the people uh, of the army of the Philistines, he calls forth a champion to come and fight with him. This is going to be a representative battle. This would be as if last, last year during the Super Bowl, the Eagles and the Chiefs, if, if Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts decided to settle the Super Bowl by playing a game against each other in Madden. Okay, One's going to represent the chiefs. One's going to represent the eagles. Same thing happens here. This is a representative battle. And it tells us that this happened uh, later in the passage. It mentions that this has gone on. This challenge that Goliath has made happens for 40 days. Now, 40 in the Bible is an important number. When... Noah built the ark and God set out to to destroy mankind except for those who were on the boat. It rained for 40 days. When Jesus went into the wilderness uh, to fast before before being tempted by Satan, he fasted for 40 days. The Israelites were in the, the wilderness for 40 years 40 is a a complete time, and it's really a time of testing. And in this case, for 40 days, Goliath comes forth, and he offers this challenge, and he disparages the armies of Israel. They fail the test. The question is, do they really trust God? They should know their history. They should know of all the times that Moses led the, led the people through the wilderness and the, and the battles that they had and the, the times that they overcome. Joshua in conquering the land. During the time of the judges, you had Gideon conquering an army with 300 men. You had Deborah, you had Barak, you had others that they should have known that when they fight for God, when they they fight and and clear out the land as they were commanded to do, that God would back them and God would support them. But no, they cower in fear. And this passage we just read, it it ends with Saul and all Israel, they were dismayed and greatly, uh, greatly afraid. Now, if you've done some Bible reading, you might remember how Saul was chosen. It says in 1 Samuel 8 that that, uh, they wanted a king, and they said that we may also be like all the other nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. That's what they wanted in a king. And they thought they had that in Saul says that there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than than Saul. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. He was the the Goliath of Israel. He was the tall one. He was the powerful one. He was the one that was easy to look at if you were a woman and, and all of that. He was the natural candidate to fight Goliath, but he didn't do it. Nor did he lead the people in such a way that anybody, any of those men, were inspired to go and fight. Now, as Saul is abandoned by the Lord, he's he's lost that power. And he doesn't even think in this moment to seek God. I think if you were to talk to the men, none of them would deny God. None of them would deny that that Yahweh was the true God, but they just didn't seek him out. They're living as if their God is not greater than the Philistines. And this representative battle, by the way, is really comes down to a battle between the gods. The thinking was, whichever God was strongest would help either Goliath or Israel's champion to win. But when God abandons a king, a people, they are left powerless, they are left afraid, they are left cowering in fear. And I wonder sometimes, do we, live, do we live sometimes as if we don't really believe our God is greater? Do we face the things that we face as if, as if God is just not even there, so we don't even call upon him? When God abandons. Now our second point here is when God anoints. David comes onto the scene. David is still a young shepherd boy. He's not of fighting age, so he's not with the army. Um, In fact, he was probably pretty young. uh, As we heard last week, he was the youngest of eight brothers. Uh, This passage mentions the three oldest brothers who are with the the soldiers. You had to be 20. So let's do some math. How, How young does that make David at this point? Pretty young. In verse 12, it says, "Now David was the son of, a, of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced <coughs> excuse me, advanced in years." Now we already know this, right? This was part of the passage last week introducing who... Who David was and um and, and who his lineage was, but but here it's being repeated because the covenant had been made with David that he would be king, he was anointed as king, so we're reintroducing the character at this point. And David was sent from his um from his fields where he was shepherding the sheep and sent with food to take to his brothers and to the commander as well. Now, as David makes that journey not too far from Bethlehem, he had no idea what this day would bring. He had no idea that that it would be, as one commentator said, the defining challenge of his life. He comes and he leaves the, the provisions with the, the quartermaster, so to speak. And then he rushes and, and greets his brother, uh, who kind of disparagingly puts him down. Like, what are you doing here? Uh, who did you leave with your tiny uh, flock of sheep? And, uh, and at that point, Goliath comes out again and offers the challenge. And David says, uh, David is told what the king will do to the man who will conquer Goliath. He will basically be given wealth, be given the daughter of the king as a bride, which means he would become royalty, and his family would live for free, no taxes. And even after David is told this, if you look in verse 26... He says this. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the uh, reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I find it interesting that David asked that question, what will be done for the man after he's already been told what will be done for the man, and I think it's the idea that that he sees Goliath and he sees God behind him, the power of God, and he's it, it's a it's a king's ransom that this person is due to receive, and David is like, wait a minute, what did you say would be done? It's almost like. It's too much. Like, this is just a little thing. And you're going to give a person all of that? Now, notice David's words where he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David comes onto the scene, and he sees this battle theologically. He sees it for what it is: a battle between competing gods. Up to this point, it's been a godless narrative. Saul is not considering God. The army is not considering God, but David considers God. And because and, and, and this is the difference between being abandoned by the Holy Spirit and being anointed to be the next king. David, yeah, he is a runt. He is a young guy. He's he's probably short. But he's an anointed runt. So he says, "I'll fight him." I'll fight him. So he's brought before Saul and Saul is like, "Wait a minute." This man has been a a soldier all his days, and, and you're just a boy. And he says, well, I've been out in the pasture. And when a bear came to threaten my flock, I killed it. When a lion came, I killed it. So as Brian talked about last week, God is preparing David out there in the wilderness, out there in the in the pasture with the flock, God is preparing him. Now look down to verse 36 and 37. They, they try to put some armor. They try to put Saul's armor on this little boy. You can imagine. And he says, no, this doesn't work. So in verse 36, David says this, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. When God anoints, he equips. David is is equipped to do this. And not only from the standpoint of whatever skills he has has mastered as a shepherd of the sheep, practicing with his sling, uh, hitting rocks, and, and then when the time comes, taking care of bears and lions and things like that. He is now ready not only from a standpoint of skills, but he knows that God is with him he knows that God will hand over this Philistine. He keeps saying it that way as if it's like, this Philistine is nothing. And my God will, will make him like those lions and those, uh, those other animals. David understands that his life is lived before god we use that that phrase in latin coram deo before the face of god or in the presence of god do we consider that our life is before god that he sees he cares he equips and when he anoints there is nothing that can stand against god's person if you're thinking today about great needs that you might have, any distress that you may be going through and comfort that you need in that distress, any steadfastness if, you, if, if you're in the midst of tragedy, if you need power over sin, if there's this, this nagging Sin, this besetting sin that just you can't seem to overcome. Do you know God is with you? And do you call upon the name of the Lord to conquer? And that leads us to the the third point here when God conquers. I want to direct you to verse 38. David goes out, he takes five smooth stones, and Goliath is just kind of laughing at the whole thing. And David says this Verse 38 Your servant, oh no, wait, I'm in the wrong. I'm sorry, verse, uh, my notes are typed wrong. Verse 45, here we go. Uh, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and he will give you into our hand. Now, these are strong words that mean nothing unless God is behind David, unless God is equipping and anointing and upholding him in the midst of this. Now, these words really um, serve as an illustration. In fact, this whole story serves as an illustration of the principle that we saw last week where man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And David here is saying, you come to me with sword and spear and shield. And and if you remember back when we read the first part, there was quite a description of, of Saul's armaments. You come to me, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And David takes a stone plants it in the forehead of of Goliath and cuts his head off because he was empowered by God. Now, who are we in this story? Too many times preachers take this story and, and they ask the question like, Okay, what giants are you facing? You know, joblessness and and poor health and other things like this. Well, God can provide for you um, the means to overcome this. And oftentimes it's preached as if we are David in this story. Now, I believe there are things that we can learn from David. The New Testament tells us as much that um, these These scriptures have been written to serve as an example for us. So as David trusts in the Lord um, who is behind him, we need to also recognize, yes, we can do that as, as well. But who are we in this story? Really, we are those cowering, scared, dismayed soldiers who do nothing and yet reap the victory because someone else stood in for them. David becomes the Christ figure, the anointed one. As Brian explained, Messiah means anointed. David is anointed king, and the first real battle... That the, that the Israelites face after that, David comes and saves the day. Even though he hasn't ascended to the crown, he is still functioning as the king, as it were, because the, the, true, the, the current king, Saul, is also cowering in fear. David comes and does for them, slays the giant, what they cannot do what they are unwilling to do, what they're not equipped to do because he is equipped to do it. In the same way, Jesus Christ came into this world. The second person of the Trinity took on human flesh, lived among us, lived for 30-some years a perfect life, perfectly completing the the law and, and fulfilling all righteousness, and then in the end was crucified on a Roman cross. And while hanging there, God the Father turned his back because the wrath of God was being poured out. The wrath of God that you and I deserve was being poured out on Jesus Christ. Three days later, as we just celebrated a month ago, and as we celebrate every Sunday when we gathered together, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. God rose him up to signify and to verify that this sacrificial death was pleasing to God, was acceptable to God. And Jesus Christ arose from the grave, victory, Uh, victor over sin and death and hell as i told the children the biggest giant you face is your sin and you can't kill it no matter how hard you try you're not going to hit that target jesus christ came and did it for us And we are the soldiers in this story who got to celebrate a victory that we did not do. The point here is not what you could do if you are more like David. The point of this story is to show us what Christ has done as the true David invite you to turn to uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 12, and, and this came across in my, in my reading a few days ago, and I, I, I thought about how appropriate this passage is in light of this story of David and, and Goliath. And I'm going to tell you as I read this, it's uh, Revelation 12, will start in verse 7. There's going to be some imagery here. I'm not going to explain it, okay? I'm not going to talk about because I don't know. Who, who's the dragon? Who's this? Who's that? I don't know all that stuff. But the way this ends is really the picture of David and Goliath, but applied to us. So Revelation 12, verse 7 says this. Now war arose in heaven... Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, and this is, this is the important part. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Now, I, don't, I can't begin to even know when, when did this happen and when is it happening and, and all of this. That's not important. The the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down. Jesus Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection, has defeated Satan, sin, death, and hell for you and for me. That's something, as it says here, worth rejoicing about. Just as David threw down... Goliath conquered Goliath for that army in place of that army representing that army so Jesus Christ has gone to the cross and represented his people and paid the price for them. Now what that means is this if if you don't know Jesus Christ if you have never come to a a place where you, you realize this and, and you, the only response that you can have is either to reject, to reject what he has done or to, in faith, receive it in the empty hands of faith. You can't do anything to earn it. You receive it in the empty hands of faith. If you haven't done that, do so now. The time is short. Do not delay, but come to Jesus Christ. For those of us who have done that and are now united to Jesus Christ, who are now in Christ, we know that because because that greatest of all enemies, the accuser, has been thrown down, that nothing we face even measures up to that. Romans 8 says... If God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he also not give us all things together with him? What we have in Jesus Christ is greater than sin, greater than death, greater than hell, and anything you face today is... Under that now, I'm not trying to throw out a a, a wealth and prosperity kind of teaching. I recognize that some of us are going to, um, you know, face extreme difficulty, tragedy. Some of us are going to die in pain. Some of us are going to um, perhaps be martyred. There are people all across this world that die for their faith. But in that, they conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And so I want to encourage you today, as you you think about this, whatever you're facing, Jesus Christ is far greater than anything life can give you and anything that death can take away. I want you to hold on to that today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this this word that we have. I thank you that Jesus Christ is the risen conqueror. That we rejoice in this. That we, uh, even in our suffering, we rejoice in hope. Lord, I pray that as we um, come to this time of response, that you would, you would encourage us, you would uphold us. Help us to reflect on this. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.